finishing Luke today. We have been uh, in this book, well, not the whole time, but uh, we actually started this in 2013 and <laughs> uh, took some breaks along the way, but here we are uh, finishing Luke. And uh, we looked at the resurrection last week. Easter Sunday, we celebrate. It's, it is one of our favorite days of the year. We have host one of the lunches. Uh, people come and hang out really all day. Uh, it is traditionally in our family been this beautiful time of celebration. There have been a few Easter's, though, where it's been a little bit messy. Um, last week fell into that category, right? Many of you know. Uh, we also had uh, one uh, Easter Sunday that we woke up to a flooded home. Uh, that, was, uh, that was great. Um, great way to start, right? Uh, last week was that, uh, so if you're a visitor with us, uh, we value what we call liturgical art. Uh, you see a little bit of it here uh, that part of what draws us into the presence of the Lord. And we had our whole congregation uh, had the opportunity to, to pitch in and do some work for this last installation. And Stephanie and Tina thought it and planned it all out. And we gathered after church on one Sunday and put a lot of hours into it and uh, Steph and Tina and Matt and I installed it on Thursday, and I came in on Sunday morning. Uh, and you have a picture of it on the front of your worship guide, and that doesn't do it justice. Uh, it does not do it justice. We're so excited about people seeing it, seeing the things that they had put work into, and it had all been ripped down and destroyed. Uh, I was looking for it to think, can we put it back up? Maybe not this morning. Can we put it up later? But that was not the case. And uh, and it's this reminder. Uh, and we talked about it last week, but it's this reminder, we're now a week after Easter, we're still in the Easter season of the church, that, that things are still not what they're supposed to be. We celebrate Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we talked about the fact that it was a real event that really happened, and that the creator of the world has power over death, and that a, a man in history actually physically rose from the dead. That kind of power is at play, and yet, if, even if we look at our lives just over the last week, if we're honest, sometimes we think, wait, what? Does that, does that have impact in my life? Does it have the kind of impact that I want it to, is maybe often the question that we ask. And, and here we are, right after the actual resurrection, we see this first appearance of Jesus to his disciples, and they're experiencing some of the very same things. Some of the very same mess of life, even right after the resurrection, this amazing thing. Because the reality is, the scripture tells this whole story, and, and what we talk about in theological terms, it's not really a theological word, but we, there's this phrase that you may have heard, we've used it before, the already not yet. The, the promises and work of God that have already happened, but the, there are those promises and works that have not yet been fulfilled. And we live in that time of the already not yet. And so we're actually going to look at, at uh, three points. We're actually going to just look at two, but kind of, anyway, it's not yet, and then already, and then the not yet again. So those are the, the three points. So we'll go the, the looking at the not yet of now. What, is, what are we experiencing now? Because there are things that are not yet fulfilled. But then the already, the things that have already happened, the encouragement that will be, and then the implications for us now, right? So let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll dive in. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your powerful word, your revelation of yourself in this amazing redemptive story that includes 
resurrection, not only Jesus's 2,000 years ago, but the promise of our own resurrection to come. Meet us here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Things have not yet been fulfilled. We have not yet seen the full implications of the resurrection. Things are still broken. Things are still messy. And we sit in that much as these disciples did 2,000 years ago. Even though there's this promise of peace, there is fear. So what's the first reaction? We saw it even last week. The, the women were fearful of the angel who was revealing himself in dazzling glory, and they were frightened. They didn't know what to do. They, they fell down. They bowed down in fear. And here we have Jesus appears to the disciples, and they are frightened. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I think it's also helpful to note, remember we're talking about the fact that this is a real event, and, and we don't just dismiss it as those superstitious people. They, they were not expecting resurrection. They knew how things work. They were so actually set on the way that things work that when they see the resurrected Lord, they try to explain it away as he's a ghost, he's a spirit. Even though he had told them that this was going to happen, they're not expecting it. So they try to explain it away. He's a spirit. He's a ghost. He, he responds to that by showing them his physical body and actually even eating in front of them to demonstrate that he is real, that he is an embodied person risen from the dead. But here they are fearful. And how could they not be, right? They had seen him die. And as we talked about last week, they know how death works. And so what is this that is happening? What is going on? And, and we think about this. There are many things that we fear. And we could include certainly the power of a God who has, uh, has risen from the dead. And the fact that he might actually have something to say and power to speak into our lives. That he might actually invite us to live in a particular way or, or do particular things. That he would have that kind of power and that it would be over us. That we wouldn't be our own gods. That's, that's frightening. But into the confusion as well, he speaks this peace, and yet there is still fear, fear of the unknown. And we experience more of the unknown over these last few years in the midst of the pandemic and incredible cultural shifts that we don't really know what to do with. And it's, it's often frightening to, to even think about how we would respond. This is the reality of what we experience. I think about uh, fear for my kids and fear for congregation and fear for uh, finances and relationships. And there are all kinds of things that we fear. We could give long lists. That is the reality of the world that we experience even after the resurrection. And some of this reality, it, we just need to be honest about that, that we experience fear. Yes, there are promises of peace and we still experience fear. There's a promise of growing understanding and yet we recognize that that we often misunderstand, that we are often at a loss to know how to put our minds around the things that are happening, whether it's in our own lives or in this realm of spirituality and the story that God gives us of his story of redemption through the ages. They think he's a spirit. They do not understand. They disbelieve and they have that, this disbelief mixed with joy in verse 41. That's kind of a weird combination, right? There's, there's just this, what is going on? And, and that hasn't changed for many of us, right? I mean, all of us have, at, at different times, 
lack of understanding, it causes us to actual uh, humility, to recognize that we, we're not going to have all the answers, that this, this lack of understanding is, is pretty normal. And so that we are invited to move forward, recognizing that there are things that we don't understand, even as we live in a time where we're expected to be experts on everything. We're expected to be experts on uh, race and on epidemiology and religion and relationships and everything, right? We're expected to know it all, but we have to step into the fact that we don't have all the answers. And there's a call to humility and and sit with the uncomfortable lack of understanding. We'll we'll talk in a moment about there is still encouragement to to understand certain things, right? So not, not just saying give it all up, but we should approach with humility. The last, uh, second to last thing that still exists is doubt. Even though belief is invited, we experience doubt. Here, these first disciples, Jesus in front of them, we often say, you know, if Jesus would just appear to me, then I'd believe the resurrection. And yet here this is happening, and there is disbelief. There is explaining it away. They, and then just that very word in verse 41, that they disbelieved. They disbelieved what was going on even as he's standing there in front of them. And we all have doubts. I mean, we we could have walked with Jesus for years, or we could be new Christians, or you could not be a follower of Jesus. You could be here as as family or friend and and, and thinking, what is this weirdness? Lots of doubts, right? Let's be honest about those doubts. Let's be honest about the things that we struggle with. And, And let's do address them. Let's talk about them, both as a congregation, as individuals, in our community groups. I welcome conversation. I've talked on multiple occasions about just a few different resources. Uh, Tim Keller has Reason for God and Making Sense of God. Paul Copen has a book, Is God a Moral Monster? Rebecca McLaughlin, Confronting Christianity. And that's just the very tip of the iceberg. I mean, all kinds of resources and relationships that we could engage in that would help us address our doubts. But let's not push away our doubts and say that they don't exist. They're part of our story, just as they were a part of the story for these disciples encountering the risen Lord. Even as we encounter the risen Lord spiritually in the church, in his body, the people, as we experience it at the Lord's Supper, as we experience it in all kinds of ways, it comes with doubts. Let's be honest about that. And and let's have those difficult conversations. Let's talk about the way that our faith plays into uh, our life and everything that we engage in. Just this week, having conversation about the difficulty, the fear that we have about all these different issues that we're supposed to know everything about, the polarization that exists in our culture now, and how do we navigate that? Let's have those conversations, the difficult ones, about sexuality and politics. And the reality is, if there is a risen Lord, he has something to say about these things. We address those with humility, but let's talk about them. Let's not just push them to the side. The last brokenness that we see that we experience is even with the promises, we sit in this moment of waiting, waiting for more understanding, waiting for that promise of peace, waiting for ultimate resurrection, a lot of waiting. And I am not very good at waiting. I don't like to do it. There is certainly a sense in which our culture has primed us to not wait in all kinds of ways. Even in in my lifetime, the changes of uh, the readily availability, the ready availability of all kinds of things very quickly. We're, we're members of uh, Amazon Prime. Get stuff to you really quickly, right? I'm getting used to that. All kinds of things. Somebody said it might be pronounced differently, but that, um, 
We get things quickly, right? That's just one example of the, the ways in which we experience uh, things coming without having to wait. And I don't like to wait. So one of the examples is that I, I don't like to wait in traffic, which has been a problem in downtown recently. Like you should just expect that anywhere you go, there's going to be at least one lane, if not whole roads closed, anywhere you go. And, uh, and, and it takes longer to get places. And I found myself, this has happened multiple times in even the last couple of months, and this happened to me yesterday. I'm going somewhere, and I'm realizing I'm actually going to be early. And I don't want to be early. It might be uh, even awkward to be there early, so maybe I'll like, take a longer route. And, and still, I've thought that in my head, and then I get caught in traffic, and I have to wait at a light for a few changes. And I'm, I get so impatient. I'm like, what in the world? Somebody cuts me off. Or I miss an opportunity to change lanes and get ahead. And I get really frustrated. I don't want, wait, wait. I don't care when I get, I'm not in a hurry. But I'm just so primed to not wait. This is my heart, right? And this is all of our hearts. And here, the, the disciples were promised this amazing promise in verse 46. Jesus says that they should... I'm sorry, to verse 49. I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is a reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit. This beautiful picture, the third person of the Trinity coming, we see that elaborated on in John 14, 15, and 16. The third person of the Trinity come available for us. They're, they're to wait for that. And that's not even to speak of the waiting for Jesus to return. So at the end here, he ascends into heaven, heaven being where God is. And the promise is that one day that heaven will come to earth and all things will be made right. And the resurrection of Jesus will be just the first of the resurrection of all of us. So there's that waiting as well. And that's not even referred to here, but there is a wait. It's, it's continually waiting. I mean, this is the story of the people of God continually. Think of those waiting in the wilderness for 40 years. We cannot wrap our minds around that. Wait, I'm going to have to wait a week? I have to wait a month? I have to wait a year? 40 years they had to wait. For the promises of God. We can't wrap our minds around that. But we're called to wait. And, and this is consistent with the story. All of these things, the fear, the lack of understanding, the doubt, the waiting, all of these things. This is, this is the way God works. We wish it weren't so. We get so caught up in all the promises of the American dream and we conflate that with Christianity. And we think that things are always supposed to go well for us. But what we find is that Jesus tells us about his own life. In verse 46, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That first part, he should suffer and die. It's the cross. And we, th this passage, actually, in the wording, jumps over it pretty quickly. And so we want to jump over it pretty quickly. But it's not just this work that he does for us. It's an example that he sets for us. We're to take up our cross daily. We're to expect suffering. We're to expect things to take a long time. And, and when we set our minds on that reality, it actually does change our experience. If I set my mind on the reality that I'm going to run into a closed road or lots of traffic, it does, not enough, but it does shift my mindset as I'm driving, right? The call is to set our mind on the difficulty that we're often called to. 
But then we get to the already. Already, not yet. So things not yet fulfilled. So we're sitting in the brokenness. We're sitting in the sin, both in here, the brokenness and sin in here, and that we experience out there. And yet there are these incredible promises. Something has already happened. Jesus did rise from the dead, and he's showing that to them, right? He's saying, peace to you. Here I am, risen from the dead. And what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 is this resurrection of Jesus Christ is what he calls the first fruits. That it is the first of many resurrections to come. And the promise is, promise is for you and for me that we will also bodily rise from the dead. And that all things will be made right. This is the promise that we look to. That we will be fixed. There will no longer be sin and brokenness. And that has implications. So Jesus rising from the dead is promising us something to come. And so we can put our hope there. The promise of peace first. Why troubled, verse 38? He recognizes that they're frightened. But he says, peace to you, verse 36. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then he goes on to do a couple things. He shows himself to them. He shows himself risen from the dead. He says, here I am. Here are my hands and my feet. I'm going to eat this meal to demonstrate to you that I am here bodily, physically resurrected from the dead. Not just uh, this new spring kind of idea, new life, not an analogy, not a spiritual reality, a physical reality that has effect in this world. And that should bring peace. There's an implication that him being there, why are you troubled? Here I am, see me, risen from the dead. What he's saying is peace comes from me in the fact that I have power over death itself. So that as you face your fears, as you face the reality of your death to come, which we don't like to talk about or think about, and particularly just push it to the side when we're younger. But here's the reality that is coming. And in light of that, there is hope and peace for you because I have actually risen from the dead. And then we see this promise of what he offers for us because there is the brokenness that exists in, in us. We have the confession of sin that we confessed earlier today. And we, we then found the assurance of pardon from the word of God. And Jesus tells us of that here in verse 47. That this work that he's done, his life and his death and his resurrection, lead to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That we would be made right, that we would be fixed, that we would be allowed to come in and be sons and daughters of the king. And that's what we celebrate for Ari and Lottie this morning. That they're drawn into the family as daughters of the king. And that they get all the promises with that. That's the, the hope that we're celebrating because of what Jesus has done for us. That's peace for us. And then there's this promise of understanding. So yes, there are things that we will not fully understand. We can't know everything fully. We certainly can't know everything about everything. But here is Jesus inviting them into more understanding as he reveals both himself, verses 39 through 43, here I am, risen from the dead, see me, watch me eat this meal, I am the resurrection and the life, he tells us in John. And here he's demonstrating it. But then he tells us as well that the whole word of God, and at this point he's talking about the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms are fulfilled. That's verse 
44. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, verse 45. The scriptures are about him. He is central to the Old Testament and certainly the New Testament, which is about him and his life. The Old Testament actually is his revelation of himself that he shares with the disciples. And then through the power of the Spirit, he has them write it down for us to understand. That actually him, as the word of God, John 1, he actually is the word. And then he tells them, write this down. Write down essentially the works of the word of God. The, The Bible isn't created by the church. It's created by Jesus in his life. And then it's put down. The word is actually exists before it's written down. And then it's written down and it's given to us. And so Jesus is contained and central to both the Old and the New Testament. And he's saying, there is understanding of me here. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, which is about him and the forgiveness offered and the resurrection to come. And there's an invitation for us to dive into the word of God, to find him and his revelation of himself for us. If you need a place to start, we continually have the daily prayer plans. They're out on the, the table out front. Grab one of those and use it as just a, a guide, somewhere to start reading the word. Being in relationship with the Lord. We're invited to greater understanding. And yeah, it's a mix, right? It's, it's often this mysterious mix of understanding and questions, but it's a joyful mix. Again, verse 41, this Even the wording is hard to understand and translated in in weird ways in different versions because we don't fully understand. Verse 41, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. There's joy and marveling, which is almost always a positive questioning mystery mixed with disbelief. That's what we're invited into, this mystery that invites us to joy, even without full understanding. And that with that, as we understand, we're invited to trust and to believe. Verse 45, he opened their minds to understand so that they would trust, that they would look to him, so that they would believe. And and this is consistent. It's not just we got to work up belief. We have to believe hard enough or strong enough. This This is consistent throughout Scripture. God does the work, even of our faith. Ephesians 2 tells us that they were saved by grace through faith. And even that is a gift of God, not something that we do. Even our faith, even our trust, even our belief is a gift from him. Again, remembering that it's all God's grace. As we celebrate these children that we baptize, Lottie and Ari, the fact that they're not, they don't do something to deserve it, we don't either. We're invited into it by his work. And then finally, we find this promise of what is already, this has all already happened and matters for us now, has implications for us now. This is work that Jesus has done in the past. And he's also demonstrated that he's able to fulfill his promises. At the end here, he, he, we, we find the ascension that he goes up to heaven, that he's with, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We don't find all of these details here in these verses, but it's the ascension that he is with God. We find in other places the promise that he'll return, but he's there in power, reigning and ruling over all things, demonstrating that he is God, that he is the creator, so that he will be able to fulfill those things which he has promised. So then lastly, we get to the not yet part again, that we can trust in because of what he's done. We look with hope. We're able to hope now. We're able to hope for what he has done.
I don't know if you have had surgery before. Uh, there are any number of surgeries that we can talk about. I'll use, for the sake of this illustration, uh, your, your knee is messed up. You hurt your knee. And you're able to get knee surgery. And maybe it's even a replacement. So they're replacing parts, which is amazing. I was talking with my son, who's taking anatomy right now. And just, I can't even imagine, you know, they have these pictures in the book. Here's the anatomy. But they're actually able to open people up and move things around and attach and unattach and reattach ligaments. And it's crazy what, what folks can do now, right? But if you mess up your knee and you go into the doctor, you can go in in one day, outpatient surgery, they can replace your knee and then you can go home and it will get better. And so if you go in and you have surgery, you leave knowing that you're going to have some days of maybe even significant pain and recovery, but that your knee will work again and that you might be pain free in the future because of that surgery that already happened. And there'll be days where you're experiencing suffering and pain, but, but you know, because you had that surgery, that things are going to get better. You look back, had the surgery, yes, I've got the pain, it's moving towards something else. Small illustration of what God promises us. This thing has happened, Jesus has risen from the dead, he's worked, he's offered forgiveness. There is brokenness and pain, and it's often, let's be honest, mixed with the disbelief, don't fully understand, not the way we would choose for it to work, but it's the promise of God. This thing has happened, there's going to be mess, there's going to be suffering, but one day, things will be made right, and it's all based on this thing that has happened. And you can hope as a result, and that's exactly what they do. They don't fully understand. It doesn't say, okay, they fully get it. They don't even, they don't even give indication that they did this switch from, they, they were disbelieving, and then they believed. But they worshiped God, verses 52 and 53. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and we're continually in the temple blessing God. That is worshiping God. They're worshiping. They're recognizing this is mysterious. We don't fully understand, but we're hoping in your promises. They're hoping for the spirit to come upon them, which is exactly what happens. And they're also hoping for their resurrection to come. And they're invited to tell other people about it. So they're worshiping and they're on mission. Verse 47, Jesus says that this has happened. His death his resurrection, so that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. So the second part of Luke, which is Acts, Luke wrote in both, it's kind of one book, two parts, is that. It's the message going forward. So there is an encouragement for us to rejoice and worship, and we value worship on Sunday mornings, we value worship in all of life, we do, but there's something particular here. And then we're invited to tell other people about it. There's a joy, even in the uncertainty. And we're not going to have all the answers, and that's okay. But there's a hope, because the resurrection is real. And we're invited to trust in it, because of the work that he's done. That it would give us hope, in the midst of the, the suffering that we experience, the brokenness that we experience, that we've been forgiven, that we've been invited into his family, and that we have the promise of resurrection to come when he makes all things right. When there will be no more crying or no more death or no more pain, he tells us in Revelation 21. When the new heavens comes to the new earth, when he, the ascended Christ, comes to earth and he makes all things right. That's the promise for us. And it matters now. If we put that lens on, it affects the way we think about our brokenness and suffering, the things that we struggle with. There's hope in the work of Jesus Christ.
Let's pray.